Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. One of the things that we've been uh, teaching here at Pursuit Church for the past seven weeks, uh, actually eight weeks, is pursuing God. And more specifically, vision. We have a core scripture out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, talking about write the vision plainly so that people are able to run with it. People are able to run with it. Notice that we don't walk with vision. We don't just uh, be lazy and stagnant and sluggish with vision. No, we run with it. We have, there's momentum. We are going somewhere. Come on. How many know today that we are going somewhere? We are doing what God's called us to do. We are accomplishing everything that he has set out for us to do. How many know that your family today is accomplishing all that God has for you today? Come on. And we do so by faith. We do so by pursuing after him. Pursuing after him. If you don't do anything else within your life today, do this one thing. Pursue him. See, I would rather you pursue God than make excuses for anything else. I would rather you pursue God with everything, with every fiber of your being than allow yourself to miss on knowing him. Today, you may not know him. Let me tell you, he wants you to know him. Maybe you have some idea of him. Let me help you. And this is really going to hurt some of your theology today. But information does not mean you know him. You can gather up all the information in the world. You can go to a podcast, a YouTube channel, and hear from a thousand different men and women of of people that say they're of God, maybe they are of God, and give you different things, give you different insights of what they learn. You can read all the commentaries. You can go from an atheist viewpoint. You can go from an agnostic viewpoint. You can go from any type of viewpoint. But that does not mean you know him. You want to know how you know him? Walk in relationship and fellowship with him, and he will show you who he is. Get in his word. Because his word is who he is. His word today. I'm talking about the Bible. God's word. His word. It's living. How many know the words that you read on the page, they're not just words, they're alive. And as you read it, you're reading ultimately who you are. The Bible will read you. See, today there's nothing wrong with getting information. There's nothing wrong with reading books. Do all that. But first, let me encourage you, if you're trying to find out who God is, go directly to him, because he can. You can. How can you have faith in God when you're going through another person? See, we live in an age where you can go to YouTube or Google and type in anything on the Bible, and you're going to get some type of view. You're going to get some type of, you know, side or perspective. And what ultimately what we do in our ignorance is we take their perspective rather than the perspective of God's word because we didn't take time with his word. We just took on what someone else said and it said, oh, that sounds good. I like that. That's, that's it. That's truth. You can't do that as a Christian because ultimately you won't walk in full truth. You'll walk in a partial truth or a half truth or ultimately it may be even a lie. Amen? Even everything that I say, you can't just take my word for it. If I'm the only source 
of your knowledge and understanding, let me help you. Change that, please. I hope you read your Bible. I hope you spend time with him every day. Because if it's just from me, you're not going to grow much. And how do you know that I'm not in error in some of my things? I'm not saying I am, but how do you not know? Unless you go to the word yourself and study it out as well. See, this is, the, this is what we do. We, we think we, we live off someone else's faith. We just live off what my pastor teaches. No. See, my job is to equip you to get to a place where you are walking with God. To equip you for the work of the ministry. And let me help you. I can't pastor your children. You pastor them at home. Amen? You know that children today, if you have some, that they're going to listen to you for all life advice. Now, you may have some teenagers, and I know it's harder. <laughs> I get it. But they still love you. Keep on planting the seed. You were once a teenager, too. But see, the example they get at home ultimately is what they're going to live out. Now, thank God that for restoration, and thank God, because I know some of us have come from some broken homes where God just came and rescued us. Amen. Come on, no one's too far from his rescue. But today, if you're a godly parent and you have a godly household, raise them up in God. Teach them how to have faith. Help them understand healing. Help them understand the power of God. Help them understand the presence of God. Help them understand the power of his church. I mean, these are things that your 10-year-old, your 6-year-old, your 14-year-old should know. They shouldn't be, man, I could tell you every movie quote from a Netflix TV show. I could tell you every lyric from a song. None of that, none of that, there's nothing wrong with that. But if your kids don't know scripture, if you, they don't know God's word, what are we doing? We're setting them up for failure because the world has wolves, dog, wild dogs, evildoers, and they'll come after your children so quick, and they already are. This is why you have to guard them within the word of God. Amen? See, we've been learning how to pursue God, and vision starts with that, pursuing God. Vision is founded in faith. Vision, vision comes from a place when you are walking with him, grounded in him. Vision is strengthened when you know you belong to him. Vision takes you to take on what is his. You build what is his. You see how he sees, and you trust him in all of it. See, Nehemiah was a man of vision. We've been using the story of Nehemiah when it comes to life, when it comes to this word. And I believe prophetically that the life of Nehemiah is really a prophetic picture of where we are as a church right now. Just feel that deep in my heart. And Nehemiah was a man of vision because he was able to look at the piles of rubbish. We know that Nehemiah built the temple walls, and he saw that they were completely destroyed, and he saw that, and by faith he said, we can build it. God's called us, we can do this. And he gathered a whole group of people, families, to come together and build what God had purposed in his heart. Because it wasn't about Nehemiah, but it was about the nation of Israel. It was about Jerusalem. It was about the people of Israel. It was about God ultimately getting the glory. Think about it. This 
country and their countrymen are completely destroyed. They're scattered. And everyone's saying, well, where's your God? All these pagan gods, all these evil people, all these pagans are saying, look at your God. He's so good. He's so holy. He's so great. What happened to the God of Abraham? What happened to the God of Moses? Where is he at now? Think about knowing that as a people, being defeated as a people, being broken, and now they've been given a word to build. And they come together and start building it, and they have opposition after opposition, attacks after attacks. And now we're up to a point in the book of Nehemiah, which really the book of Nehemiah was a private journal. I don't think Nehemiah understood that his private journal was going to be read from everybody. You know, it was something private to him. But we have it today in, our, in the Bible. But one of the things that we see now in Nehemiah chapter 5, that's where we're at, Nehemiah 5, is that opposition or the attack of the enemy doesn't come from the outside. It now comes from the inside. It comes from the inside. And if Satan can attack the inside of a body, the inside of a family, he can stop them from affecting the outside. If Satan's plan of deception, of misery, can stop from the inside, then that family, that person, that body of believers, that church is not able to do what God's called them to do. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1 says this. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. This verse and verse alone, I could preach it for the next hour. And I'm going to try not to because we only got 20 minutes. But notice this. Nehemiah 4, they had a great victory. They're on guard. They had a great victory. Now in the next chapter, in the next part of building the wall, there's disunity. It says, arose a great outcry of people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Now there's division between them. This is the only chapter where you see the walls stop being built. See, if Satan's attack can work, it can stop God's vision from being built. See, the enemy knew that if he could get inside your family, if he could have a little issue, get involved, like sin, jealousy, covetous, whatever it lies. If he can use those things to cripple your marriage, to cripple your relationship with your children, then he's finished you. But that's, again, the lie of the enemy. And it's a deception that he's used for a long time. If I can get inside, if I can infiltrate inside within an individual's life, if I got to tell them that, no, your sin actually does separate you from God. No, you're not good enough. No, who do you think you are to have faith for that thing? Who do you think you are you think you can be healed? If he can attack you, and he does, within your mind, again, in the inside, he gets you to a place where you are defeated. He gets a marriage to a place where they think, it's over, we're done, how is this going to work? He gets you into a place in relationship with, with your children. How are they ever going to come to know Christ? How are they ever going to serve God? All these things that we go through within our mind. 
as a church, if he can cause disunity in a church that comes from gossip, that comes from backbiting, that comes from uh, having different cliques and division and just we're better than you on this side. No, we're better than you on this side. I know more word. Yeah, well, I know more word. All these things. If he can get division, he can cripple a church from being effective outside the four walls. Oh, what great you do with inside, but what do you do outside? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you've got great worship services. Yeah, people falling down. But how many people are getting born again? How many people are getting set free? How many people this week from this church have heard the gospel outside of being a Christian? Right? Because that's ultimately the mission that God has called us to, be a witness. How many people from this church, out of the 35, 40 people that we have, have heard the gospel this week? That wasn't someone that was just, you know, a Christian. But it's okay if they're a Christian. But someone that was completely non-believer or someone that's on the, that, this, that rope or on that, on that uh, fence line just saying, I don't know if it's real, if it's not. I'm struggling. See what I'm saying? This is what happens when we allow the enemy to come and to attack within the inside. It stops the church from being able to be effective. And this is what you see in the Nehemiah's day. You see that there's an outcry. There's an argument. There's an issue. And one of the things that we have to do as a church is to be on guard. See, chapter 4 ended on victory. They did the work of God despite all the obstacles. But now there's no mention of any work. Work has stopped. And it's because the enemy brought a direct attack. The people of God were no longer unified and working together. You don't see that anymore. One of the things that you see is that the work stopped because of strife among God's people. Strife. There's a couple of things on strife that I want to mention to you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, it says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. 2 Timothy 2, verse 23 to 25. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of of the truth. Look at this. It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's service must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. It's important how you conduct yourself within the body of Christ, just like how it's important how you conduct yourself as a husband, as a wife, as a man, as a woman, as a teenager, as a young adult. Do you understand that your conduct and the way you act can cause something to flourish or something to die? I've had people ask me, I don't understand why I can't get what I want. How come I always have to fight? How come I always against or just I feel like it's constant attack? How are you acting? What's your attitude in the moment? Is it walking in love no matter what's coming against you? Is it constantly speaking life, constantly living above the words and the rhetoric of what people speak into your life? 
You might say, well, it's coming from my husband. I understand. But you still got to walk in a place of love. You still have to shower them with the word of God. Again, as men and women of God, of God, you, we no longer walk according to the way the world does. If you get your ways of marriage and relationship from a reality TV show, dear God. Like we got so many reality TV shows that you can watch like Too Hot to Handle or Love Island, and people are so soaked into this garbage, and they think that's what real life is. It's not. It's, it's lust. It's adultery. It's, 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 it's ungodly. And if you bring that stuff within your marriage and think, you know, I'm going to learn life lessons from this stuff, you're not going to. See, we learn how to love based on biblical principles. We learn how to love by walking in the spirit. We will learn how to love by literally doing what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about. That's the love chapter. If you haven't read it, go read it. It'll change your life. You may not like it, but it'll change you. See, there was strife. There was strife between them. And one of the things that we have to be careful is that we don't get angry. Another scripture on strife says this. Listen to this. <clears throat> Hatred stirs up strife. This is Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offense. Hatred stirs up strife. You know what happens when you hate somebody or you hate something? It stirs up strife. It stirs up frustration. It stirs up even more anger. Have you ever noticed that hatred stirs up more anger? If you're constantly frustrated, constantly feeling weighed down by anger and offense, then you're walking in hatred. And you're going to have to repent, and you're going to have to walk in love. You're going to have to walk in self-control. And this only happens by allowing the Holy Spirit in you to produce within you. And that's through relationship. If you're constantly talking against and against and about and about people, let me help you. Stop today. You say, well, I got a right to do this. You got no right. You don't have a right to talk any certain way. No, you have a right to walk in love. You have a right to walk in gentleness. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer. I've never had anyone in my life that's come to tell me what I'm doing wrong, and they do it in a wrong tone, in a wrong way. It's always hard to receive it. Can I get an amen? Right? Now, sometimes, of course, when you have people that are really close to you that you love, they can come talk to you any way you want to, and you're able to receive it because you know the motives of love. Now, if you don't have anybody like that, let me encourage you. Get some people like that. That means that you just got too many yes people around you. <laughs> amen? You need someone that can come and say, hey, I'm holding you accountable. What's going on? Amen? I've had some tough conversations with people in my life that I look up to, that I know love me, and that's why I'm able to receive for them. If you don't have anybody like that in your life, find someone. Now, if you are, if you are that person for somebody, again, the motive is love for that person. Your motive is love for that person. It's not just because you're frustrated. You know, I've said things before where I was just frustrated, and I just said something to somebody because I was upset, and I shouldn't have said it. That was self. Then you have to go back and repent. You ever done that before? Right? Come on. Especially when we do it in marriage. I mean, you got some marriages that just, they're fighting all the time. They're arguing all the time. 
Look, we're talking about Christian marriages where it should be about love, gentleness. Come on. Showering each other with the love of God. See, we get this within our mind that, that, well, we're not perfect. I understand you're not perfect, but you can still walk after the things of God. You can still walk in a place of honor to your wife and an honor to your husband. I mean, go read Ephesians chapter 5 towards the end of the chapter. That will help you understand honor and submission in a marriage. It'll be hard to read. It'll be hard to take because you're going to have to change some things. But I guarantee you, it'll help you in the long run. It says, on strife again, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much sin. Transgression, that's Proverbs 29, 22. See, we see within the people in Nehemiah's day, there's strife among God's people. And strife leads to hatred. Strife leads to anger. See, we have to get to a place where we don't allow strife in the house of God, where we don't allow strife within the family, we don't allow strife within our own personal life. I know it's easy to get frustrated in life when not everything's going your way. I know it's easy to have strife when everything seems to be against you. But you have to walk in unity. The opposite of walking in strife is walking in love. Because love, what, we'll do, what it will do is produce unity. Unity in a body, unity in a marriage, unity with your kids, unity on the job, unity in every aspect. Yeah. It says there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren, meaning we have one group fighting against another group. When God's people fight one another, they're really not fighting the real enemy. Because the real enemy wasn't their brother's. It wasn't the other family. No, the real enemy was Satan that came in and infiltrated it. And see, when we're fighting constantly, you're never getting God's work done. See, the problem is when you fight in between your marriage or you fight in family or you fight with people all the time, you're never really fulfilling God's vision for your life. You're never able to do what God's called you to do because there's constant anger and frustration and strife. You ain't going to be able to, to do God's will and purpose for your life in anger. It's going to be hard. That's like me as a pastor. We'll never be able to do God's vision if I'm always angry of what we're not producing as a church. You know that? If I'm constantly angry, like, we don't got this, we don't got these people, that ain't going to do anything. That's just me complaining. Right? The same way we do it in our family. Like, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that. My wife's not doing this, my husband's not doing that. That ain't going to heal your marriage. You're just telling everything you don't have. Think about what you do have. Come on, you got grace. Yeah. You got mercy. Yeah. You got the power of the blood of God, of the blood of Jesus upon your life. Apply the blood to your wife. Apply the blood to your husband. Apply it on your own life. What does that mean? Walk in forgiveness. Walk in love. Now, if it's just outright sin that you're walking in, well, that's different. No, you need to just get that right within your heart. Because if you constantly walk in sin, well, you're going to have the wages of sin. And we know that the wages of sin is death. And what you sow, you're going to reap back. I mean, you will. If you're constantly sowing corruption, you're going to reap it back.
Now, the reason for the strife that they had, I'm going to read it to you. And it was actually a pretty bad one. In Nehemiah 5, it says this. Others said, or sorry, verse 2, we were saying we have such large families. We need more food to survive. Others said we have mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. Now, look at this. They're in a famine. Now, let me help you. Famine was not caused by government. Famine was not caused by someone. It was just cause of nature. They couldn't do anything about the famine. But people took advantage of the natural disaster to their benefit. And see, there's some things in, there's some things in life that we go through that just are, they happen. You know, like COVID. COVID happened. No one asked for it. It happened. And we all had to walk with God and follow God in that years, years, right? In those two years of our life. No one made it happen. But we had to walk with God in that moment. Now, I, I can hear everyone, all your conspiracies, everything, that's fine. Let me help you. We had to walk with God in it. There will be things that you go through in life. That aren't just because of sin. Is it because of just a choice? It's just because you're going through life. Where you will have to stay faithful to God and stay trusting in God. See, sometimes we think that when we have something going bad within our life or we're up against something, we did something wrong. It's not the case every time. Sometimes it may be. Sometimes it may just be a test. It's something that you're going to have to go through and grow in and grow out of. It might be an area within your own life where you're not ready for it yet. It's not the season for you, and you're going to have to learn how to just stay and endure, be faithful, be consistent. Come on, as a church, there may be a season as a body of Christ, as a church, where we don't get to see all the things that we want to see on the vision, but we got a clear picture. We know we're going there. It may take a year. It may take two. It may take five. It may take ten. But we're remaining faithful. See, because it's not the... Vision that necessarily drives us, it is God. Ultimately, it is God because success is not by what we do, but the success is by who we are in Him. That's where your success comes from today. It says, and others said, we had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. Verse 5. We belong to the family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we have helped us to do anything about it. For our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to other, others. Verse 6, when I heard their complaint, I got angry. Now, someone said that Nehemiah's anger in this was wrong. It's unjustified. It's not unjustified. It's very justified. It is a godly anger. How many know that God has a righteous wrath, a righteous anger? There is a justice anger that God has. And we must understand that Nehemiah was not wrong in having anger. Because really, this dispute, this issue, this attack of the enemy was stopping the work from being done. It was stopping the vision from being done. It wasn't about the money. It was about the disunity and dishonesty that these people were walking in. Now listen to verse 7. It says, after thinking about it, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. Notice leadership right here, a little leadership note. He thought about it. 
He knew that he was going to have to talk to them. He knew that he was going to have to communicate to them, but he had to take some time. I guarantee you, he prayed. He asked God, how do I deal with this? Because these are people working on the wall with me. I don't want to say something to where they stop working. I don't want to say something that it just comes out because I'm angry and frustrated at them. See, as a man, as a wife, as, as a husband, as a woman, as a wife, all these areas, as a, chill, a child, as a young adult, someone on the job, as an employee or as an employer, do you know that you must take time in how you communicate things that you want? You have to do so by praying and seeking God, saying, God, help me to communicate. Because one of the things you must understand that Nehemiah did not do, that a lot of us do, ignore the problem. We think if I ignore the problem, it'll go away. No. All it will do is build and build and build to ultimately you blow up. And now your marriage is in complete shambles because you didn't hit it on directly when it first happened. See, Nehemiah was wise to where he hit the issue directly head on. And this is how you have to be within your life, within issues of your own personal life. Maybe you have some sin. Let me help you. You need to hit it directly head on right now today. You need to not let it get, have any room in your life. Because if you wait, you're going to look back and look at years wasted and say, what have I, what have I done? If you're lazy today, if you're procrastinating today, if you are being idle in your relationship with God, let me help you. Get disciplined today. Devote yourself to him. Be diligent in the work unto God in your life. See, we don't just look at problems and ignore them. No, we go directly to them. But again, we do what Nehemiah did. He prayed. He thought about it. How can I do this? How can I say it right? I know I got to address them. God, I'm going to need your help. See, this is what wisdom is. It's having knowledge and understanding, but now he's rightly applying this knowledge and understanding. He heard from them. He heard everything that's going on. He's found out that they're being dishonest, that they are taxing them, when, which they shouldn't be. There, there's a lot here, and I don't have time to talk about every single little detail. And if you go to uh, Exodus chapter 22, you can see some really cool things about what they shouldn't be doing. And they're doing this exact thing directly against what God wants them to do. And that's Exodus chapter 22, verse 35. And they call it a usury. And it's where they are taxing them a certain amount, which they should not be. And they're taking advantage because of famine. Now notice this. He goes to them and he talks to them. And he says this. You are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. And after the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have, had all this, who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Of course they didn't. They knew they were wrong. It's very similar to how you see the Pharisees in Luke chapter 16. Just go there for a moment. You guys okay? Okay. And you read, and you can read the parable of the shrewd manager, but go towards the end of this parable, and it go to verse 9. And it says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. 
They will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you will not be honest with greater responsibility. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? True riches being spiritual riches. Heavenly riches. Come on, how many of you know that you have been blessed with all spiritual blessing? Amen. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money, or you cannot serve God and love mammon. Money. See, the Pharisees in this time, they loved their money. And after they heard this, they scoffed at him, meaning they're too bitter to hear. They were too bitter to hear. See, you can preach on things. You can talk about things, just like in Jesus' time. And I've come to this conclusion and understanding. If that they mocked Jesus, if they didn't listen to Jesus, if they didn't receive what Jesus said, they will do the same today. See, you got to understand and come to the conclusion within your own heart. When you are living upright and holy and right before God, when people are talking against you, it don't matter. Stay faithful to him. Just because people are coming against you and saying things all about you, but you're walking for him, it don't matter what they say. See, Jesus understood, but he still preached the truth to them. He still gave it to them, but they just mocked at it. They were angered about it. They're frustrated about it. Notice what this says. It says, then he said to him, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. There's so much here. See, it's the same thing for Nehemiah. These men or these families were taking advantage of these other families. And Nehemiah goes to correct them. Listen to this. They had nothing to say in their defense. Verse 9, then I press further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? Should you not walk in the fear of God in order to avoid being mocked by anyone? Look at this. When you don't walk in the fear of God, the world knows. I think a lot of the reasons why an unbeliever doesn't want to come to church is because the lack of an example Christian believers walk in and live in. Why come to a place that's holy that's pure, where all I see within you is none of that. And I know we'll make our, we'll justify ourselves, and we'll make reasons for all of that. I've done it too. But the reality is, the truth is this. We must live according to what we have been bought into, what we have been brought into. It's because it's not an example just for ourselves or for our family, but it's an example to all those outside. It's an example to all those around you. They must see that you serve and walk with God. Not in a prideful way, but in a way that will win them to Jesus. Amen. I'm bringing it to a close. Notice this, he says this in verse 10. 
I myself as well, my brothers and my workers, have been pleading or been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, all grows, homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charge when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And this is what they reply back. We're going to give back everything. And then he made an oath with them, said, I don't want your word. I want your oath. And then he even goes a step further, and you can read it, where Nehemiah himself doesn't take what is promised to him and the benefit for him because he was the governor. For 12 years, he was the governor of them. And he could have took, a, a, a ta- he could have taxed them. He could have took money from them, but he said, you know what? It's my right, but I'm not going to because it would hurt the people of God. Just because you have a right to do things doesn't mean necessarily you should always do it because you're looking out for the betterment of the body. You're looking out for the betterment of your family. You're looking out for the betterment, betterment of your life. There might be some things you think, I have a right to this. But it, not, it may not be the time to take that right and walk in humility and walk in a place where you're looking out for other people. And this is what Nehemiah did. He said, you know what, I have a right to take money because he has these parties of over 150 people that he serves. He says, you know what, I'll pay for it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to get out of my own. See, this, sign, this is a sign of a leader. And then this is what we see a lot of times happen within family. Leaders, you, you, you do so much for your family. And it might not feel like, man, I'm being taken advantage. See, Nehemiah didn't see it as himself being taken advantage of. That wasn't it. No, he said, you know what? I'm helping them because ultimately if I help them, it's helping what God's called us to do. If I help this family, if I help, if I give to them, it's a help, uh, ultimately getting them back to the place of working on the wall and ultimately building what God's called us to build. But if I keep on taking and taking from them, they won't be able to work. They won't be able to provide. There'll be no one to finish the work. See what greed can do? And I'm done with this scripture. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money is not the issue. It's the love of it. And this was the heart of these people. They loved their money. And they took advantage of it in the moment of a famine. They took advantage of it to the point where families were selling their kids to slavery just to pay for things, just to live. That's called greed. And we got to be careful within our own walk with God and our own family, within our church, that we don't walk in greed. See, greed will diminish the work that God's called us to. Because ultimately, you'll be serving money and not serving God. The Bible says that you can't serve two masters. And that understanding is talking about a master and a slave. There's no such thing as a slave having two masters. A slave only has one master. So if you love money, that's your master. You love God, he's your master. You're either devoted to one or you despise the other. Today, when it comes to vision, we must make it a point within our heart that we do not have greediness within us. That we don't allow dishonesty and disunity within us, within our family, within the body. 
And if there is, we must directly go to those things and love and discuss. We must work it out. If you're having issues within family, you're going to have to directly go to it. If you're having issues in things within your own personal life, you need to directly face them. Whatever it may be. Today, I want to encourage you to continue to build what is his. Be faithful to the house of God. Be faithful in your heart towards God. Be faithful to the things of God. Find out how you can continue to grow and do what he's called you to do. Amen. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.